This is after the birth narrative of Jesus in Matthew chapter 2. Now every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When Jesus was 12 years old, they went up, as usual, for the festival. When the festival was ended, they started to return. The boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming that he was with the group of travelers, they went a whole day's journey. Then they started to look for Jesus among their relatives and friends, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. He said to them, why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in years, and in divine and human favor. Then one more verse, this from the end of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23. Jesus hanging on the cross, crying with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. May the Spirit of God speak to the people of God, and together we say, thanks be to God. Be seated, please. We invite our children, grades kindergarten through second grade, to be dismissed at this time for children's worship. And as they depart, let those of us who remain bow our heads for prayer. And our prayer this morning, O God, is that we might have an openness of heart to learn today what is ours to learn. For the journey of learning never ends. Open us up to learn new truths about you, new truths about ourselves, new truths about life, and form us as the people of Jesus who taught us to pray in this way, praying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I wonder how many of you can say along with me the prayer that I was taught as a little boy to pray when I went to bed at night. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. 
I'm not sure which parent thought that was a good prayer to offer to children right before they went to sleep, but uh, it is what we've apparently all learned. Some years ago, Dan Zoller gave me a bag of sermon manuscripts from a renowned preacher named John Claypool. Many years, the pastor here at Crescent Hill Baptist Church and later at Broadway Baptist Church. I've been reading through these sermons that happened on one that was preached 50 years ago uh, next month at uh, their church's promotion Sunday. And in it, he he makes an observation that I had not noticed before. And that is about a prayer that first century Jewish parents would have taught their children, much like you and I pray, now I lay me down to sleep. It was a line that came from the 31st Psalm, and it said simply this, Into your hands I commit my spirit. Does that sound familiar? We just read it together. Jesus on the cross praying, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Which would suggest that the very first prayer that Jesus ever prayed on this earth was the same one he prayed as he hung on the cross and died. His life was bookend by this traditional, handed down prayer that came to him from his parents. How does a memorized child's prayer become a prayer of empowerment and courage and strength and deep and abiding wisdom? Well, it's obvious that Mary and Joseph were parents who not only taught their son this prayer, they lived this prayer in his presence. Their lives were consistent with their religious beliefs, and so they modeled it. They taught this prayer to young Jesus, and he sensed in it a kind of power such that he would want to memorize this and keep it with him throughout all the days of his life. That's why it's so important today for parents of children to practice what they preach, because you know you're preaching every day, right, by your lives, to practice what you preach and then to preach what you practice. That is, to explain why you do what you do and why you believe what you believe so that the child, over time, can begin to see and understand and make faith their own. So, a shout-out to you parents today who have brought your children to this place because it's important not only for you to model faith at home, which I hope you do always. Take time for prayer before you eat, before you go to sleep, in those crisis moments in a family's life, to gather and pray, not as ritual or superstition, but as life, to center life around God. It's, it's a beautiful thing. Do it at home. But props to you for bringing your children to church as well because faith is instilled in children not just by parents but by the community. It's why when we do baby dedications, we ask you, will you tell them the story of faith? Will you sing for them the songs of the church so that in their time they can believe too? It's what we do together. That's why Mary and Joseph took young Jesus to the temple not many days after he was born and placed him in the hands of Simeon, 
and said, help us, in, a, in essence said, help us raise this child to be the man that God would have him be. Frankly, none of this really matters if faith is just about tradition and ritual. If faith is just kind of a contest, the Baptist over the Jews or the Lutherans over the Presbyterians, really then, who cares? But if faith is about seeing life sacredly, about understanding one's own place, no matter how young you are, no matter what your limitations, seeing your place in the larger story of faith. If, if one finds that oneness with God, the source of all creation, that matters a whole lot. For what we're doing in a place like this may seem nice and safe and peaceful, but in reality, what we're doing here is forming a great revolution to child by child change the world so that God's kingdom comes and that God's will is done here on earth as in heaven. So thank you, parents. They can't attend unless you bring them. So I encourage you to to be consistent in that, and I bless you for, for doing that. It's a gift to your child, but it may be that it is a gift that returns to you. For oftentimes, as in the story of Jesus, it is the child who leads the parent. Fred Craddock tells a story about his years as being a pastor in Tennessee. He tells the story of a a seven-year-old girl who came to church every Sunday by herself. Her parents would drop her off. The church had a circular driveway, Craddock said, so it was easier for parents just to drop their kids off. She would drop the little girl off for Sunday school and church, but the parents would always go on home. This was a family that was kind of known for their parties. They had parties that were kind of like uh, dramatic and expressive. It was a way to impress the neighbors and try to make new friends. But every Sunday, they brought this little girl to church and dropped her off. And she would sit by herself in the service. One Sunday, Craddock said he looked up in the middle of the service and realized that the little girl was sitting there and that her parents were with her. And when the time in the service came for him to extend an invitation for people to become followers of Christ or to come and join the church, here came the parents down the center aisle asking to come and be part of this church. When the service was over and all the people had come by and said their words of welcome, Craddock came up to the couple and said, I, I just have to ask, what, what prompted this? You've heard of our parties, they asked. Oh, I've heard of your parties, he said. Well, they said, we we had a party last night that went a little too long. We drank a little too much. We got a bit loud, and we woke our daughter up. She came down the steps and stopped at the landing, and when people began to notice her, it got quiet in the room, and suddenly she said, Oh, I see you have food and drink. Can I say a prayer? And before anyone could respond, she bowed her head and said, God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. Amen. Good night, everyone. And as she returned to go upstairs, people one by one began to say, 
Ooh, look at the time. I, we probably should go now. Thanks for We've had a great time. And in a couple minutes, the room was emptied. The couple told Craddock as we cleaned up the cups and napkins and peanuts and sandwiches and things. We met each other in the kitchen. And there was just a moment where we looked each other in the eye and we asked, Where are we going? What are we doing? Sometimes it's the parent who brings the child, but sometimes it's the child who brings the parent into a deeper awareness that there's something more, there's something missing. Well, Jesus went missing that day in Jerusalem. His parents began the trip home and thought Jesus was on the bus with everyone else. But apparently they'd left him at church. Margie Brown spoke to me just last week about parents swapping stories about accidentally leaving their kids at church. Terry and I have some stories like that. As Margie said, we're in good company. Jesus' parents did it too. (laughs) I've always wondered what it would be like to be Jesus' mom or dad. You know, how how do you discipline Jesus? I mean... Okay, Mr. Son of God, Savior in the world, could you at least pick up your clothes? I mean, how do you do that? But Jesus wasn't trying to be disobedient that day in Jerusalem. In fact, I have a feeling he didn't even realize that his parents were gone. He was so zoned in to understanding the height and depth and breadth of what this faith is about. Asking those around him, trying to glean what was his to know and understand. To to lean in more to this prayer he'd learned as a child. Into thy hands I commit my spirit. What would that mean for me? What am I being called to? You see, his faith was taking a different shape than his parents. It's not a different faith. It's a different shape to the faith. One that fit him. One that seemed right for him. In other words, his faith was growing. We have Bible study. We have what we used to call Sunday school. Not just to impart knowledge, information. It doesn't take long to read this book. Anyone who knows how to read can read this book. But for it to grow, for it to deepen. To understand the height and depth and birth, that takes time. It takes community. It takes all of us together. And I think it takes the capacity of parents and church to allow our children to ask the questions that are theirs. To not be afraid that they're going to open some door in the life of the church that suddenly reveals all of this to be fake. There's no such door. There's no question that you can ask that God will be offended by. Even in our doubts and in sometimes our times of disbelief, I just don't believe that the Holy One somehow says, oh, you don't believe in me? Well, that offends me and hurts my feelings. That's not God. God is the one who is always inviting our growth. And let me tell you, if you're not growing, if faith has somehow become boring or stale to you, maybe that has less to say about this faith 
and more to say about your willingness to take this faith and do with it what is yours to do. In some ways, faith is very simple. It's sort of like music. Do you know that there's only seven notes in, the, uh, in a major scale? You can sing them in different octaves, but there's only seven notes. And if you add the little black keys on the piano, that's only five more. So, there's only 12 notes. If all you do is sing the scale, whether the major scale or the chromatic scale, the most you have is 12 notes. And i got to tell you, after a while, that'll get pretty boring. Oh, but if you reorder those notes, if you hold some of them a little bit longer, bend them a little bit, add a little syncopation, put some harmony, put notes together, suddenly you've got something. You can create something that's yours, your own song but it still comes out of those same essential 12 notes. That's faith. Faith takes the story of a God who is real, who has led the children of uh, Israel out out of bondage and into the promised land, takes the story of Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection, and it makes it real, palpable, alive, vibrant for who you and I are being called to be today. That's what Jesus did. His family didn't necessarily get it. He was singing a style that they didn't get. They were locked into traditional music and he was singing his first century version of hip-hop and they didn't get it. So they thought he had gone over the edge. They thought he was too far out there and his family came and said, we need to take you home. Jesus came to that place where his identity was no longer defined by his family's music. He was grateful for it, but it wasn't limited to it. It wasn't defined by his family, by his fans, by the religious leaders, or by his critics. Who is my mother, he asked. Who are my, who's my father? Who are my siblings? But the ones who do the will of my father. In other words, there's this larger mercy in whose hands Jesus had put his very life. Father, into your hand, I commit my spirit, my very life. That's what we want for our children. Here's the beauty of what we call monotheism, believing in one God, one coherent universe, and one, one being who is this holy constituting other. Beyond us, within us, all around us, our understanding of this God will change, it will evolve, but at the core of it is this centering pattern, this deeper realm of meaning, so that whether God for you is a higher power or a man up in the sky or whatever, God ought to be for you and me, this one into whose, whose hands we can place our very lives And find, as we sang just a little while ago, life and rest and joy and peace. 
That's why it's so important that this prayer, our childhood prayers, and this faith that we're given grows with us as we grow. That's why Promotion Sunday is not just for children, it's for all of us. For while faith is based on what we were given when we were children, the reality is we must move from there. We don't wear the same shoe size we wore as children. We don't read the same books we read as children. We don't have the same interests that we had as children. We don't want to go back to the days when uh, a cell phone was, looked like a big brick that you put up next to your head. We don't want to go back to Commodore computer days. We don't want to use a faith that hasn't kept up with who we are and where we are and what we see and what we know. But here's the good news. Here's the great news. The faith has the ability to stretch and deepen and be real. But only if we test it. Only if sometimes we doubt it. Only if we ask more of it. So if God's still a man up in the sky. Or if you think that. Jesus just came to give us a a formula that we have to believe in order to get to heaven. I want to invite you, adults, find a Bible study group. Find a small group that will help you think about and wrestle with text so that it breaks open into something new and profound. For example, Bonaventure, one of the contemporaries of Francis of Assisi, said one time, God is the one whose center is everywhere and whose circumference is nowhere. Now that's a big God. One whose center is everywhere, whose circumference is nowhere. I'm aware that there are some people who don't want to ask such questions, who don't want to think such things. Maybe everyone doesn't have to go deeper. Maybe this isn't for everyone. But I have a feeling you're here today in this particular church Because you're wondering, is there more? Can the childhood prayer, whether it's now I lay me down to sleep or Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit, does it have the capacity to help me be the woman or man that I need to be right now? It did for Jesus. When he found himself on the cross, arrested and tried, and in the midst of being executed, the word he learned as a little boy, the word he'd seen his mother and father live into, the word he tested and tried again and again. We sang it just a moment ago. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I proved him o'er and o'er. That's what he did. He tested it. He tried it so that on the cross, his very last words were the same as his first words. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. We have a marquee out in our front yard. Perhaps you've noticed what it says this week to the passers-by. It asks the question, what in your life engenders wisdom? What in your life 
engenders wisdom. We make time in our lives for all kinds of things. Exercising, keeping up with the news, making sure our kids are in school and have what they need, making sure they're in extracurricular activities. That's all fine and good. But wisdom, this ever-growing awakening to what life is really about, this ever-growing awareness that God is bigger and more beautiful than you ever imagined God to be, this is the wisdom that empowers, that steadies, that gives us the hope with the promise. Father, into your hands we can, we can commit our spirits. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's pray together. Trustworthy God, whose strong hands always await us, may we put our lives in your hands and may we live with confidence and joy and peace and purpose now and always in the name of the risen one who trusted you, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.